Today's episode of Something to Wrestle With is brought to you by SaveWithBruce.com. And SaveWithBruce.com is the place where you can get a cheaper monthly payment, get rid of all your credit card debt, and even skip your next two house payments. If you cruise on over to SaveWithBruce.com, not only will you get a cheaper monthly payment, you'll get to skip those next two payments. What does that mean to you? It means no payments until June. That's right, June. Punch it in your phone right now. Find out how much money you can save when you get the best mortgage you can from Brother Love and the Mortgage Guy over at SaveWithBruce.com. We can even get you into a brand new home with no money down. If you're still renting, what are you waiting for? Go to SaveWithBruce.com. NMLS number 65084, equal housing lender. And Bruce, you know, sometimes we have our work cut out for us here on the show because we've got to try to find a way to connect sports to sleep. And that's not always easy, but here we go. Let's take a stab at it. Are you ready? I'm ready. Well, how about this? Mattress Firm is America's neighborhood mattress store, and it should be your goal to check out the deals they have going on every day. Their mattresses are softer than your rival team's defense, so they get a 10 out of tennis. You'll love your new bed. Okay, all terrible dad jokes aside, head to mattressfirm.com slash podcast and stretch your budget further than a gymnast before a floor routine mattressfirm.com slash podcast All right, ladies and gentlemen, it's time for something to wrestle with Bruce Pritchard. Bruce, what's going on, man? How are you? Well, I'm a little fuzzy because I was with Fozzie all night last night, So, uh, but I'm doing pretty darn good. Well, I, uh, I'm having a good day myself, and I tell you what, we had a hell of a week last week in Las Vegas. Thank you, Las Vegas, for coming out and supporting us, and most of all, Thank you, Booker T and Charmel. I think it maybe was our best show ever, Bruce. Well, it definitely was our best guest ever, and I don't know which one I think was better, whether it was Booker T or when I finally got Charmel to hit the stage and do a run-in. And to get her to do that, I did have to say a little something, just drop a little truth about her cooking and or lack thereof. She made it out. She did make it out. I want to thank our great buddy, Mr. Steve, over at Hard Rock Hotel and Casino. He hooked us up, and uh, he'll hook you up, too. So next time you're cruising over to Vegas, uh, look Steve up at Hard Rock Hotel and Casino. Bruce, what did you think about the feedback we got from last week on No Way Out 2003? Well, we proved our point that uh, No Way Out 2003 was a pretty damn good show that held up after all these years and definitely kicked the ass in 1998 for that that version of No Way Out. Yeah, so 2003 kicked the ass and everybody pretty much had some good positive comments. Well, and I think they're going to have some good positive comments this weekend because this next weekend we're cruising to Columbus, Ohio. And last I checked, Bruce, there were less than five tickets left. Are we sold out yet for Columbus? Well, basically, we are officially kind of sold out for Columbus, Ohio. And the only way that you can see us is if you already got your tickets for Sunday, 
March 11th. However, there are a few tickets if you want to come and join us the day before on Saturday night, March 10th, for a Dirty Dozen. Uh, and all you got to do is head on over to the Facebook page, facebook.com slash something to Russell, and check out how you can be a part of the Dirty Dozen. But here's a hint. You better do that really quick because that's going to sell out fast as well. And the following week, we've got maybe the most fun show we've ever done. It's St. Patrick's Day with unlimited beer, wine, and soda. And they just smartened me up this week, Bruce. They've got unlimited food, too. I don't know how this keeps happening. They keep piling it on, man. We've got wrestling matches. We've got the hockey game with the Edmonton Oilers coming to town to take on the Florida Panthers. Then our live show and during the entire thing, unlimited food, unlimited beer, unlimited wine, unlimited soda. Hook it up right now. Go to BrucePritchard.com, click on live events, click on Florida, and use that promo code WRESTLE. Trust me, this is the St. Patrick's Day you always wanted to experience and maybe one of the coolest guests ever. If we actually pull this off, will this be the biggest guest in the history of podcasts? Yes, Yes, it will. In the history of all podcasts, no matter what, the history of all live shows, this will be the best guest yet. And that's saying an awful lot, especially coming off of Booker T and Las Vegas. And I feel like this is uh, worth mentioning. WrestleMania weekend is almost here. And on Saturday, April 7th at the House of Blues in New Orleans, less than 100 tickets remain to see Bruce and I. It's the stories we could never tell here on the podcast. And there's an all-star lineup of folks for us to pull from. WrestleMania weekend, the place to be is the House of Blues. And here's the cool part. You're not going to miss anything. You can go to WrestleCon that day. We are. You can go to Access. You can make sure that you hit the Ring of Honor show or the NXT show because right in the middle of all that action, at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, doors open at 2, our show starts at 3, we'll be done by 5. There's plenty of time for you to go to NXT or Ring of Honor. Go pick up your tickets at BrucePritchard.com. Click the live ticket link. It's BrucePritchard.com. We want to see you at WrestleMania weekend. It'll be the biggest show we've ever done. Do I have that right, Bruce? You'll be funky like a monkey, baby, in Nolan Town. Well, let's go ahead and talk about why we're really here, Bruce. And I'm pretty excited about this because this is an episode that we've been looking forward to for a long time. It's the heartbreak kid, Shawn Michaels. And coming into 1993, Sean's on one of the biggest runs of his career. You know, we just talked about the Rockers episode a few weeks ago. You can enjoy that in the archives over at BrucePritchard.com. And he's at the one-year mark of being both a heel and a singles wrestler. And he's now the reigning Intercontinental Champion. He won it back on October 27th, 1992 from the British Bulldog. And this is when that title didn't really bounce around and change hands very often. And he had just wrestled his first pay-per-view main event where he unsuccessfully challenged Bret Hart for the world title at Survivor Series. Now, that's not the screw job. That's five years prior to that. It's kind of fun to think about. They had a world title match five years prior. So we're not really going to dig too much into 92, Bruce, but how was Vince feeling about Sean at this point? Is it a vote of confidence that he gets the win over Bulldog? What do you remember about Sean winning the Intercontinental title there in October? During this period, it was a show me time. It, it was, it was, what does Sean have? You say you want it, but how bad does he really want it? And 
Vince's opinion was, all right, I'm going to give you this opportunity. Show me what you're going to do with it. And I'll make my decision. Then the jury was still out on Shawn Michaels at this point in Vince's head. If the jury's still out, say in October, why is a month later he in the main event with Bret Hart? Well, because we had just had in that November of 92, uh, you know, you lost bulldog and you lost the ultimate warrior. So we were in a rebuilding stage and we needed to do something quick and we had to shake it up just out of sheer necessity. Got to try some new things. And Sean wanted that opportunity. Uh, you know, I know Pat definitely wanted to give Sean that opportunity. So it was just time to shake things up a little bit. Now, Sean and Brett, according to the rumor and innuendo, were actually pretty close at this time because Brett had been sort of arguing for Sean behind the scenes, or at least that's the narrative that Brett Hart would have you believe. And even Pat Patterson sort of supports some of that, that maybe these smaller guys, no offense, but this is certainly a different era from the Hulk Hogan, ultimate warrior era. Maybe these guys were sort of sticking together. Do you remember what the relationship was like at the time between Brett and Sean? They were good friends. You know, they, they were good friends and they kind of hung out together. They even traveled a little bit together, but this was an era where post steroids. So some of the bigger guys weren't as big as they used to be. So maybe people were looking at the talent that could go in the ring when that damn bell rang. And they were looking at some guys that weren't the biggest in the world but knew what they were doing in the ring. And Bret Hart definitely fit that bill. And so did Shawn Michaels. So do you believe it was a conscious effort from Vince McMahon to say, you know what? We, um, we don't want anyone who doesn't sort of pass the the smell test for steroids. We need a champion and we need to highlight superstars that when the outside world takes a look inside of our organization, they won't question our featured guys like maybe they have in the past as to whether or not they were on the gas. I know it was. Uh, it was definitely an effort to that to try and just change people's perception of the WWF and what a WWF superstar was. Let me just freestyle this. Had the steroid trial never happened, do you think Bret Hart becomes the world champion when he did? Not when he did, no. So let's talk a little bit about uh, Sean's intercontinental title run because soon after he wins the belt, I believe Mr. Perfect was on TV doing commentary for a match and he referred to him as the heartbreak kid and the rest they say is history. So things start falling into place. Do you remember where that heartbreak kid moniker came from? Was it a happy accident? Was it a marketing strategy? How did that name come to be? That was something that he used with Sherry Martell, and I think he was calling himself the Heartbreak Kid long before Mr. Perfect did. But it was a nickname. It was just a moniker, kind of like, you know, Mr. WrestleMania that Sean was doing that just stuck. And it was a happy accident, but it was something that Sean had been doing for a while and talking about, you know, I'm the Heartbreak Kid and I'm breaking hearts all over the place. And that was part of his MO working with Sherry at that time. So it was a great happy accident. If you uh, ask me, I don't think anybody would have thought all these years later, what 30 years later, that that would be the, the moniker they remember. 
Coming into 1993, we see the return of Sean's former partner, Marty Jannetty, who returns when he does a run in through the crowd and attacks Sean as he's posing in front of a mirror in the ring. And Marty accidentally hits Sherry with the mirror. And this happens. Uh, and of course, Sean pulls her in front of him and Sherry ends up staying off TV until the Royal Rumble pay-per-view. And then it's announced that Sean Michaels is going to defend the belt against Marty Jannetty. Now we've talked about all this on our rocker show, specifically the later portion where we cover all of Marty Jannetty's run, but were you guys hoping to get a WrestleMania nine rematch out of these guys? I mean, it feels like the natural progression of things that Marty and Sean would have wrestled at WrestleMania nine. Was that ever in the cards and why didn't it happen? Well, it was in the cards and that is something that we really wanted to do, but, uh, as I like to say, Marty's demons just got the better of him and we had to go to plan B. Let's talk a little bit about the, uh, the presentation of Sean, you know, when he splits off from Marty, he's trying to redefine his look and he tries a few different things. He tries the sunglasses and the earrings, uh, and the, the ring vest and a different set of tights and, um, a different type of boots. Does he put all that together all on his own or is their creative services giving him some input here? Little bit of both. And Sean was doing a lot of it on his own. And Sean was going out and having these outfits made from Julie Youngberg, uh, the, the nuns, as we call them, the seamstresses that would travel around. They didn't work for the WWF at the time, but it was a sister pair that were great seamstresses that did a lot of work for the different guys. And Sean would, rely on Julie to come up with outfits for him and he wanted to be different. So that was his way of being different. Later on creative services from time to time would come up with a different look for him and different tights and different things. But for the most part, that was Sean relying on Julie to make him look different. We talked a little bit about Sherry on our rockers episode, but I'd like to do it again here. Cause I don't think she ever really gets enough credit. How was she paired together with Sean? How did Sean feel about it? How did Sherry feel about the pairing? They Sherry and Sean had worked together in the AWA prior to both of them coming in to work for the WWF. So they knew each other. Um, Sherry was the ta- the manager of the tag team, Doug Summers and pretty boy, buddy Rose in AWA. And they were working with Sean and Marty as the rockers for many years. Sean and Marty did so many spots with Sherry and she just was one of the boys. As far as her work goes, everybody loves Sherry. I miss her every day. Every time I see a picture of Sherry, I just go, man, too soon. Just took her away from us way too soon. She was such a superb talent and and so damn great to work with. But they had a natural, they fit. They had a natural charisma with one another. And they could do everything without having to say a whole lot. They knew each other's moves and they knew each other well enough that they didn't have to talk a whole lot. Of course, Sean was on the very first Monday night raw on January 11th, 1993, working with max moon, Bruce, how would Vince McMahon describe max moon? Yeah, 
good god, I mean, yeah, he's futuristic. He's got guns and cannons. It's awesome. They shoot from his, from his wrists, from his ass, from his titties. Vince had high hopes for Max Moon, man. That was an expensive damn outfit originally made for our friend Conan over at uh, Keeping It Real. He was the original going to be. No, the no, original. no. Keeping It 100. Keeping It 100. You know. Hey, uh, you said that maybe Max Moon was going to shoot things from his titties. What kind of titties did Max Moon have? Titanium titties. Was hoping for moon titties. I don't know what's wrong with our life. Uh, the Royal Rumble we referenced is January 24th. That goes down in Sacramento, California. And on our way here, Marty is working with Sean on all the house show loops. And we talked about this match a little bit in our Rockers episode when we covered Marty Janetti's run. This is a four star match, according to the Observer. They go just over 14 minutes. And uh, people are really impressed with this. Of course, you know the finish a super kick and Michaels gets the win. Uh, they start brawling again in the dressing room after the match. And Sean tells a pretty interesting story about the Royal rumble. He says the night before the rumble, I stayed out too late. As I was walking back to my hotel, I tripped over a concrete parking divider and scuffed myself up pretty good. When I came to the building the next day, Vince was very angry with me. He was mad because I was out and not in good shape. I think he was thinking that I might, he might be able to really do something with me, but all the partying I was doing wasn't good. If he was going to invest a lot of time and money in me, he wanted to make sure that I would be there. He was thrilled with me professionally, but I was not exactly endearing myself to him with my personal habits. I apologized, but I really wasn't sorry. I was developing a chip on my shoulder. My attitude was as long as I take care of business in the ring, whatever I do in my personal life is my business. Now I understand that was wrong on several accounts, but at the time I wouldn't hear any of it. I felt Vince had no right to tell me what to do in my free time. And Meltzer actually covered this and reported that they had to do a makeup job on Sean before the rumble because he had cuts all around his eyes. What do you remember about all of this? Well, I'm not too sure that the, that it was a trip, uh, in a parking lot, if you will, you know, it's kind of like the battered wife that screams, Hey, no, I just fell down and I bumped my eye on a door. No one other than Sean really knows what happened. He looked like he had been in a hell of a fight the night before and it didn't look good. Didn't look professional. So when Sean's personal life and what's happening on the outside is affecting the way he looks and the way that he presents himself in business, that it is Vince's business. It is our business to come back and say, Hey, Sean, you got to straighten up what you're doing out there because it is affecting you in the ring, the way you look, the way you move and how you handle yourself. And people see him all beat up. You know, they just saw him on TV. He looked fine. And then he shows up in a pay-per-view and looks like he's been beat up by 10 guys. There's a disconnect there. So that's why Vince is upset and is wanting him to straighten his stuff out. There's lots of rumor and innuendo out here that the reason he had scrapes around his face is because he got into it with Marty Jannetty. And we covered this on the rockers episode that maybe Sean got in Vince's ear and says that Marty was drunk or not himself. And this happened during the rumble match and that Sean had to lead him around by the nose. 
Well, that maybe is just all rumor and innuendo, but it's a fact that Marty was fired pretty soon after this, and they're sort of scrambling to figure out what direction they're heading. Have you heard any sort of rumor that maybe the scrap that caused Sean to be scuffed up was actually with Marty? Yeah, that definitely was the rumor and, and probably the probably the fact as well. So that's what everybody thought. That's what everybody had heard. And it certainly looked like a hell of a lot more than, you know, tripping in a parking lot. So with Marty out, Tatanka is put into that spot. And uh, I just got to ask Bruce, what was the stuff Tatanka used on his hair? The really nice red and blue. That was that was war, you know. That was war paint for his hair and everything. It, it certainly wasn't, you know, just for men. Because I promise you, man, for over thirty years, men have trusted just for men to provide easy gray care solutions. And Tataka wasn't gray yet. But right now, hey man, you can trust just for men to provide a hair regrowth solution as well. It's been formulated with the number one dermatologist recommended ingredient proven to regrow hair. It's 5% minoxidil. It's hairy. Or minoxidil. There you go. Uh, From Just for Men. And it's an easy to use topical solution that's clinically proven to help regrow hair. It works by reactivating those hair follicles to stimulate regrowth. It's perfect for men with thinning hair. Plus, it's a unique precision spray applicator. So this is going to make hair regrowth pretty easy. It's pretty simple, man. You just spray it in, sit back, and move on. Because when you look as good as you feel on the inside, every date night, every meeting, every guy's night out will be something to look forward to. That's right. Start winning over thinning. And look for one in three months supplies of hair regrowth in the shave aisle or... Visit jfmgrowhair.com and use promo code REGROWTH25 to get 25% off your purchase. That's jfmgrowhair.com and use promo code REGROWTH25 for 25% off. Save today. So Sean starts working all the house shows at this point with Bob Backlund. And Backlund's actually winning a majority of these matches by countout. And Sean has said that working with Bob was easy. Uh, He's a wrestler's wrestler, and he thinks that Bob had fun working with him. We haven't talked a lot about Bob in this era. How was he fitting in with all the guys? Sean had good, good things to say. Well, Sean was, I mean, Sean, uh, Bob was a wrestler's wrestler and Backlund was a little bit older now. He's coming back at a time when things have changed up a little bit. But Vince was looking for that and looking for Bob. Maybe we would finally get that heel run out of Bob Backlund. So one of the things that had always held Backlund back for many years was that goody two shoes, baby face, aw shucks uh, personality. And Vince felt that if we brought Bobby in right now, bring him back in as a baby face, but just kind of slowly turn him into a heel that he would get the heel Bob Backlund that he had always been after. I think everybody, for the most part, you know, guys that could go and enjoyed working hard, loved working with Bob Backlund. And I think some guys could find him a little awkward because Bobby will blow you up and Bobby can go all night long. and. 
it just uh, was a different style. But for somebody like a Bret Hart or Shawn Michaels, that Bob Backlund style worked. I found some interesting house show results here. January 30th in Providence and on the 31st in Toronto, Shawn Michaels is working with Randy Savage and they do a double count out the first time. And the second time Randy wins by count out. And we've talked a little bit about this on our Randy Randy Savage episode that maybe he wanted to have a year long run with Shawn Michaels. How did he enjoy working with a young Shawn Michaels here in January 93? You know, when Randy would get in the ring and Randy would work and we would use Randy as he used to say, oh yeah, you guys need help. So you got to call the pros first name, macho less name man to the rescue. Uh huh. Well, we, we would put Randy in a lot of these substitution when we didn't have anything else spots and Randy always delivered, frankly, over delivered whenever he got put in those spots, but yeah, you have to remember also Randy on the other side telling us, I want to retire. You know, I don't want to be on the road all the time. I, I, I want to come into the office. I want to learn. Uh, he was doing the color commentary spot for raw and for superstars. That was something that Randy had expressed to us. He had a desire to do. So a lot of mixed messages here, but Randy was still going to be that go-to guy. Still, he was going to be the ambassador for the WWF. Um, but Vince had no intention, especially during this time frame when he was trying to draw Randy back a lot. He wasn't going to put put him out there in another program. On February 1st, Sean's in a 15-man battle royal on Raw. Razor Ramon gets the nod there. And through the rest of February, he's working house shows where Bob Backlund's beating him by count out or crush is beating him by count out. I feel like we've said the count out finish here for almost every match. Why was the count out finish so popular for Shawn Michaels in this early 1993 timeframe? Cause he was the intercontinental champion. Can't beat the champion and also can't God damn it. Can't beat the baby face in a house show. It's a, it's a cheap finish. It's, it's an easy way to get the baby face hand raised and, and not beat your champion and have to switch time. On the February 22nd raw, Sean would team with the Beverly brothers to take on the Tonka and the nasty boys, the Tonka and the nasties get the win, but Sean would write about a month before WrestleMania, I separated my shoulder while teaming with the Beverly brothers against the Tonka and the nasty boys. I had to take four weeks off and that eliminated any chance of building something big with Tatanka, who I was going to fight at WrestleMania. Do you remember this injury? I do because it was, and it wasn't a major injury. It was a separated shoulder that was able to be put right back into place. He needed some time to allow it to heal, but there was nobody concerned and there was no one saying oh my gosh you know he's he's got to get this fixed or he's going to be out for any extended length of time it was he needs some rest let this thing heal up and he'll be fine uh why why was Tatanka the guy for sean at wrestlemania nine because we didn't have anybody else and originally as we talked about earlier on, you know, Marty Jannetty was going to be in that slot. And now Marty is out. 
Marty's moved on. He's been fired. We needed someone else in that intercontinental slot and thought that it would be a nice move for Tatanka, thought they were both matched up well size-wise. And the gimmick with Tatanka, we figured Shawn Michaels can have a great match with a broomstick. Let's see what he can do with Tatanka. And we thought that their styles would gel quite a bit. And two young guys that were both hungry and really getting after it. So Sean makes his return on March 29th. And he's actually working for USWA for a couple of warm-up matches. Uh, on that first night, he beats Jeff Jarrett. And the very next night, he defends his Intercontinental title and challenges for the USWA title in the same match against Jerry Lawler. Of course, Lawler wins by DQ. And after the match, Sean says the referee goes to hand him his belt and he ends up accidentally smashing him in the mouth and it knocks out his front tooth. So he has to rush home to Dallas and get a dentist to put a cap on it. How's this even possible? Do you remember hearing about this sort of freak accident? Absolutely. Because he was in, in Memphis and in, uh, USWA spending his day. He's getting smashed in the mouth and going home to Dallas to get a new front tooth. He couldn't wait to get back on the road again. No. Shout out to road dog for, uh, mentioning us in the WWE promoted tweet this week, where they asked road dog, his opinion about Jeff Jarrett going in the hall of fame. And he put over the song. And credited uh, you and I with the podcast sort of bringing it back into relevance. So pretty cool that he said that and that WWE let it air. Well, not only kudos to both parts. Uh, You know, they're both kind of shocking because it was that was Road Dogg's song, man. And uh, much as it's associated with Jeff Jarrett, it always will be. It was Dog's song. But you know what? I think I'm going to claim ownership to hell with it. Now it's my song. Hey, so let's talk about this. We said earlier when Sean had scrapes around his face, he said it was a parking lot divider and he had tripped, but really it was Marty Jannetty whooping that ass. Well, here he gets a tooth knocked out. Was Marty Jannetty doing run-ins in Memphis and whooping that ass? <laughs> yeah, it could have been definitely. He could have been the referee there and uh, just shiznit his happens, by God. Well, and uh, Shiznit is going to his happen if you'll just go ahead and check out our friends at Mattress Firm. We've been talking about how difficult it is to connect sleep to sports. Let's just keep the ball rolling, shall we, Bruce? Let's just do it. Just, hey, everyone knows how important stretching is before an event. So does Mattress Firm, except it's your dollar. Your budget stretches further when you're shopping in America's neighborhood mattress store. It's true home run and you're gonna have a ball they're the head coaches when it comes to mattress expertise but know this they are more than just mattress experts they have a game plan it helps you transform your mattress into a bed from adjustable bases and sheets to headboards and bedroom decor they have you literally and figuratively covered up like your favorite quarterback Go to mattressfirm.com forward slash podcast to see what deals are happening as I read this sentence to you. They're even going to offer you a 120-night sleep trial to ensure perfection and a 120-night low-price guarantee so you know you paid the perfect price. Talk about a one-two punch, a knockout, if you will. Score big with a perfect bed. 
head on over to mattressfirm.com forward slash podcast to get the play-by-play on how you can monumentally improve your sleep today, tonight, and tomorrow. It's mattressfirm.com forward slash podcast. Let's get to WrestleMania 9. Of course, uh, this episode where we covered WrestleMania 9 featured maybe one of our biggest arguments ever, and it's available in the archives now at brucepritchard.com. It took place, of course, on April 4th, 1993. Caesars Palace does a 2.1% buy rate, which is roughly 430,000 buys or $5.8 million gross for Titan. At the time, though, it's the lowest buy rate for any WrestleMania. And our man, Shawn Michaels here is uh, in a losing effort to Tatanka again by fucking count out. They go 18 minutes and 13 seconds. So of course, Sean keeps the intercontinental title and here Michaels comes out with a new manager slash valet loot of a Sean. Meanwhile, Sherry is in Tatanka's corner and they're pushing Vashon pretty hard to get us going here. Uh, what do you remember about their WrestleMania match and specifically Sherry's out Luna's in? Well, it was, we needed a, a heel and we had broken Sherry and Sean up and we needed a heel. Luna was available and she, I want to say I had seen Luna in Tampa probably a year before this. She looked great, was just ripped to shreds, uh, Actually, sorry, while I was training in the gym, Conrad. Yeah. And she came in. She looked great. I had brought that up, and it was just the kind of like Undertaker was the dark to my white. She was the yin to Sean's yang. Um, completely opposite of Sean in looks and just kind of demeanor in that heel role and felt that Luna would give Sean a good edge and make that package a, a pretty damn unique package for the heartbreak kid so we thought about bringing luna in and and pairing them up i thought that they paired up very well i didn't think that the tatanka sean match was the greatest of all time I, i thought that it was good and i thought that the guys worked well together but it just felt heavy in places i think is the best way that i could say it because their styles clashed a little bit and Tatanka's a big, thick son of a gun. So it was just a little bit of awkwardness from time to time, but overall, I think that they gelled pretty well and uh, had some good matches. Here's what Meltzer would write. Uh, referee Joey Morella was counting on Michaels, uh, who then knocked him down. Michaels got back into the ring, but Tatanka hit a Samoan drop and covered him for the pin. But Morella got up and called for the bell, ruling that Michaels was the loser via countout. Very weak finish to what had been an excellent opener. After the match, Luna clotheslined Sherry and kicked her a few times. And later in the show, they announced Luna had attacked Sherry in the first aid room as well. Three and a half stars. So overall, Meltzer put it over pretty hard, but thought it was a pretty lame finish. Was there ever any other finish considered for this match? Not that I remember. No, it was a kind of an opening match card and same thing. We weren't going to switch the championship. So you got to have a screwy finish because Vince wanted it, uh, you know, opening match first couple matches on WrestleMania to be happy, happy, joy, joy. 
Well, there you go. Um, Sean would write, I was coming into WrestleMania, just healed from a separated shoulder and a knocked out tooth. And Chris Chavis and I had no storyline going into our match. We went 20 minutes before I was counted out. He was a very big and thick individual and a little difficult to move. The match wasn't bad, but it wasn't anything special. Do you think that's a fair assessment of his match here with, um, Tatanka? Yeah, very much so. That's that's kind of what I was saying beforehand, that it was Tataka could move, and Tataka's deceptively right. big. And he could move for a big man, but to try and for you to move him could be difficult and kind of clumsy at Let's times. Let's talk a little bit about Tataka, because I don't know when we're going to talk about him again. Hypothetically, and you're the master of caricature impressions, what would your Tataka sound like? Not, not the best one. Uh, it's not the last time we're going to see Sean at WrestleMania, though. After the Lex Luger Mr. Perfect match, Lex goes to the back and is talking to Sean and Perfect. Uh, and then all of a sudden, um, here we are. We've got this big schmoz where Sean is attacking Perfect. And this is obviously done to set these two to work up uh, to a, a feud together. And these guys had been friends, even going back to their AWA days. Was it Perfect's idea, Sean's idea, or who in the back says, oh, this is where we need to go next, Sean and Perfect? Well, it was something that Pat and I saw and that we thought would be great for all of the reasons that you just named. They were friends, both great workers, and they had great matches with everybody they were in the ring with. So, good God, you know, who could imagine putting them together, the great matches that they would have? So that was the reasoning behind it. Take two great workers, put them in the ring with the program, and let's go. Uh, he starts working again with Bob Backlund on all the house shows. He being Sean, pronouns, pal. Damn it, pronouns, pal. Uh, and they take a, a European tour, which we've talked about many times here on the show. And Crush gets victories over there by count out when they're back stateside. Uh, he defends the intercontinental title on raw against Jim Duggan and Duggan gets the, uh, the win by count out again. This feels like the clashing of two eras here. Sean Michaels in a singles match with Jim Duggan. Does it not? Well, maybe in 1990, you know, Duggan, his star might've started to, to fade, but not really, you know, they were pretty much in my opinion of the same era, you know, hack is gosh 10 years older than me so he's 13 14 years older than than sean but it was still i thought it was still a contemporary matchup here and people thinking that duggan actually had a chance at becoming an intercontinental champion in late april and early may perfect is working with sean in all the house shows and they're doing 20 minute time limit draws there who was putting together house show formats in this era? Would this have been Pat Patterson? Yeah, this would be Pat and myself doing all this at this time. On the May 4th edition of Superstar, Sean and Crush wrestle each other in a King of the Ring qualifying match, and it ends in a double countout. So neither man actually qualifies for the tournament. Was there ever any consideration for Sean winning an early King of the Ring, or why was that never something that Vince saw for Sean? Well, for this King of the Ring it was supposed to be a one-off this king of the ring was not going to be an annual event 
and to actually have a a king. So the idea was more of let's we got to do something for Brett and we didn't want to go back to intercontinental champion with Brett. So create a new prize and something new and that was the king of the ring. So the king of the ring, the first king of the ring was designed to get Brett over and to give Brett a spotlight without having to give him a championship at the time. Uh, add on to that the timing of Jerry Lawler being with the company as well, and it just worked. Uh, May 8th and 9th, Sean is working with Mr. Perfect on the house show loop. And on the May 10th Raw, they do a return match for the Intercontinental title with Jim Duggan and Shawn Michaels. This time, though, it's a lumberjack match. Of course, there's a DQ when Mr. Perfect does a run-in. And this is the edition of Raw where we get the famous fight outside the Manhattan Center. Shawn wrote of it, he was going to throw me through the windshield of Howard Finkel's brand-new Cadillac, and then we were going to scuffle until the end of our segment. We didn't block off the street, nor did we ask any New York city authorities for permission to do this. Bruce Pritchard, who was producing the segment told us that he didn't know what was going to happen after we started fighting quote, when I tell you, we have to go, we have to go. So we got into the fight and Kurt threw me into Howard's windshield. Then all the police sirens started blaring and the cops pulled up and Bruce yelled, let's go. Kurt and I ran for the Manhattan Center, and it may not have been the most organized of vignettes, but it certainly made for good television. Some poor guy from the production crew was left trying to explain to the police what happened and that they didn't have to file a police report on the damaged car. It was Vince McMahon's idea to smash Howard's new Cadillac. He liked to throw a few ribs in here and there and thought it would be funny to get one over on Howard. He was going to fix or even buy Howard a new car. We shot the segment before the show, and after we taped it, Vince brought Howard into his office to show him what had happened. Quote, I'm sorry, Howard. We didn't know they were going to do all that. Vince let him waller in the misery for a little while before breaking the news to him that he had been had. Everyone got a big laugh out of it, and Howard Finkel ended up with a brand new Cadillac. So my favorite part of this story, though, is if you read this in Sean's book, uh, he put a T on your name and really you should put a T on your back. Isn't that right, Bruce? Absolutely. And just go to BrucePritchard.com, click on t-shirts and fanny packs, and you can put a T on your back. You get a king of all podcast shirt. Or my new favorite, Monday Night Love. Don't forget your dude fanny pack or the original. Baby Brother Love, something to wrestle with, sure. And the always popular, I used to be over. And, which I predict, is going to blow up here in the next month or so. The Wiz Awful House shirt. And you get them all over at Bruce And eventually, when you pick up a shirt at BrucePritchard.com, Bruce will call you, eventually, to get a great shirt and a cool experience when Bruce calls you at BrucePritchard.com. So we've sort of hinted about this Howard Finkel story before, but that's Sean's version. What really happened? Yes, sir. Now you want to hear the truth. Okay. Well, first of all, it was not a Cadillac. It was a Chevy, like some kind of Chevrolet car. And we needed a, the idea was 
that Sean would be outside and we had kept Sean and perfect apart for quite a while. And Sean would be outside earlier in the day on the streets of New York being interviewed when a car would pull up and it would be Mr. Perfect and perfect gets out of the car because he sees Sean Michaels on the side of the street. This is his opportunity to go out and attack Sean Michaels. So we had, uh, Vince's driver, his name was Bobby at the time. And we're like, well, it'd really be great if we had some toys because just fighting on the street can be eh, some, you know, problematic and, and just boring really more than anything. But if you have a vehicle to kind of bump into and play off of that helps. And we said, well, we need a car. Didn't want to use uh, the limo because we had to go out to eat that night and uh, needed a vehicle. So Howard Finkel was, I don't want to say bragging, but he was bragging about his new car and so on and so forth. And and says, well, Howard's got a new car. Fink, we need your car. And Howard, not wanting to disappoint Vince in any way, shape or form, handed the keys over. And that's where we started our, our planning and our plotting because it was okay. Um, here's the bumps that are going to take place and so on and so forth onto the car because it was safer for the talent. Plus it kept the talent away from the, the crowd that was outside. We didn't have, uh, I think I had two security guys with me. If that out on the street that was just there, I didn't want to draw too much attention to what we were doing. And we start this fight. Perfect pulls up, and it's perfect. Um, They get into the fight, and Kurt takes him, and Sean does a hell of a bump onto the hood, and his feet go right through the windshield. And the boots that Sean was wearing were actually Tatanka's boots because Sean had on, like, dress shoes, and he didn't want to trip and slip, so he had the boots on and plus it helps go through windshields a lot better if you have boots on so they go through and they're the only thing that we really approved was we can take a bump on top of the car on the hood and then that's it but man once that windshield went it was fair game and they started going bumping into the side what i did not anticipate i knew that the cops were going to come eventually What I didn't anticipate was the cops came and they kind of surrounded us in vehicles and just sat in their car with their sirens going and they didn't get out. So watching for a second, I'm going, well, nobody's moving. But then all of a sudden I saw a couple on foot and they're coming from around the corner. And that's when I said, let's get the hell out of here. And I think I grabbed Sean and uh, had another person designated to grab Mr. Perfect and we got them in the Manhattan center. And there were two different elevators on each side of the Manhattan center. Uh, I got Sean in one, they got perfect in the other. And I said, just get upstairs and disappear. So if the cops come up looking for the two guys in a fight, don't know where they are. They're gone. Sorry. Can't help you. And that's, that's what we did. And we, we had, I believe I had the tape. Um, going up there, I had one of the tapes. I had the main tape where we, you know, just kind of happened. 
but uh, we escaped the police and the cops didn't even come in to investigate. They didn't care. They thought that the car was, was Bobby's who was the limo driver who drove it. And he says, Oh yeah, no, I don't want to press charges. Everything's fine. It's okay. It's all part of the show. No harm, no foul, nothing to see here. Move along. What's it sound like that night backstage? What's Vince McMahon sound like? God damn. That's good shit. (laughs) Well, the thing about it was Howard watched it and Howard, uh, got very upset and disappeared and nobody could find him. Finally, I think, uh, I think Pat might've found him or Jack Lanza, somebody found him and said, Howard, come here, you know, you got to go talk to Vince. And Howard, you know, was upset and he had, he might've cried a little bit and was just pretty tore up about the whole thing. And that's when Vince made him watch it with him. You know, damn Howard. I didn't know they're going to do all that, pal, but don't worry about it. We'll take care of it. And Vince fully intended on, you know, taking care of all of it before we ever did it. You know, that's, that was the deal. You know, we'll do the hood and we'll get him a new hood and everything will be fine. Right. With the world. But what happened when we got it back, and this was the worst part. So the car's out there and it's all bashed in. We had to call in a guy from 3d towing service in Stanford, Connecticut, Billy. And he was a good guy that did a lot of our work on our cars, uh, mechanic work. Wait. And, and this by the time this is a tow tow service, it's a tow service. And he also had a, like a, a body shop and mechanic and car wash deal all in one. And, and it's called yes. 3d. So, so it wasn't like Billy get the tow truck. It was exactly like that. Where do you think the Dudley's got it from? Yeah. What I'm saying it feels like he was maybe from Dudleyville. Yeah. Yeah, Stanford, Dudleyville, same difference. And he gets there and he's loading the the car on a flatbed. Well, Monday Night Raw gets out. So people in the building who have been in the building watching the show are now coming out. They're getting ready to go and get their taxis and catch their trains and go home. And they see the car. And they start throwing shit at the car. And they are pelting it with pennies and bottles and trash. So even if the damage had been confined to just the hood, now the entire car is just absolutely getting trashed. People are throwing shit, trying to knock out the back uh, brake lights and things like that. It was insane. It, It was absolutely insane. So by the time Billy got it back and Howard got it over to his car guy where he had bought the car three weeks before, and he's like, man, basically we need to redo everything. We, you, you need a whole new body. You need a new windshield. You need new uh, tail lights. You need new, new this, new that. Finally, and, and Howard would would drive it and go, well, just, you know, it just doesn't drive the same anymore. He had it for three weeks. Oh, it just doesn't drive the same anymore. I I don't know what's wrong with it. I think maybe, maybe when Sean took that backdrop, it it hit something that, uh, has impaired its driving ability. 
So Vince like, you know what? Ribs on me. Just buy a new car. Howard's wife at the time put her foot down and called Vince and do not buy him a new car. The car's fine. <laughs> so I think Vince just had the damn thing repair and gave Howard a hefty bonus and hearty thank you. And Howard was fine. On May 17th, we see another pretty big shock. Marty Jannetty's back and he interrupts Michael no and challenges him for the intercontinental title later in the show. And during their match, Mr. Perfect comes to ringside and throws his towel in Sean's face. Marty inside cradles him and wins the Intercontinental title. Uh, this, I believe, is Marty's fourth shot in the WWF. And, of course, we know what's coming. Yeah, what, what? <laughs> Marty Jannetty, man, maybe one of the most interesting stories in the history of wrestling. If you haven't already, check out that Rockers episode. But he was fired the second. This had to be it. it though, right? No, I mean, he's been fired multiple times and we, we run through the whole deal. But when you guys bring him back here, you're bringing him back and putting the belt on him. Is this not in the book of bad ideas to put the belt on a guy who's already proven himself to be untrustworthy? There's a long history of championships on guys that had long histories of being not trustworthy. Oh my so, gosh. uh, we just called that Tuesday. Oh, it's like that. Well, you know, sometimes you, 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 you play the hand with the cards that you're dealt. Okay. Well, I'm not mad at it. Uh, Sean says the next yeah. week they're in Nova Scotia and he went to talk to Vince. He said, I knew I was going to win the belt back from Marty. And I was concerned about my matches getting stale ever since I'd won the title. I had been doing a lot of DQs and count outs and every match ended the same way. My opponent and I would put on an exciting show, but the endings were just brutal and took the wind out of our sails. He asked me what I wanted to do about it. What about giving me a bodyguard? Vince asked, who do you have in mind? Well, back in March, after I'd separated my shoulder in the match against the nasties, I was sitting at home one Saturday night and decided to turn on the WCW Saturday night show. I was always working on the weekend, so I never actually had a chance to watch that. Now that I had the time, I figured out I'd check it out. So I'm watching and I see this guy named Vinny Vegas do an interview. He was really funny and entertaining, and I couldn't help but notice he's huge. I think they were billing him at something like seven feet and over 300 pounds, which was pretty accurate. So I saw this guy on WCW TV and I mentioned him. Vince said, I can't do that, Sean. I don't want any WCW guys coming in. There are legal and contract issues. I just don't want to deal with. And so Sean pushes, but he's very funny. And Vince says, it's a contract issue. I don't want to get into it. We'll put this, this idea together and see what happens. And he used to say that a lot. So he comes out of our meeting and I go looking for Rick and Scott Steiner. I knew they'd just been in WCW and they might know about this guy. So I find Rick Steiner and ask him and he says, oh yeah, that's Kevin Nash. He's a good buddy of mine. I ask what his deal is. I saw him on TV, thought he was a riot and Rick puts him over huge. He's a great guy. So Sean pitches, he'd actually like to do the bodyguard gimmick with him to Rick Steiner and wants to know what the contract situation for Kevin is. So Rick says, I've got his number. I'll go call him right now. So he goes down the hall and uses a payphone and calls him. And Kevin says, I'd love to do it. So the very next day, Kevin Nash tries to get out of his contract. 
And ta-da, before you know it, Evan Nash is going to be at TV the next week with Shawn Michaels. It's amazing how all this came together. What do you remember about Diesel coming into the company? Well, I, I do remember Sean coming in and having the idea about the bodyguard and all that. You know, we did have to be extremely careful because you couldn't tamper with someone's contract. The very first question that you have to ask them is, is are you under contract? If they answer yes, next question is, when are you free and when do you have the ability in your contract to negotiate and to talk? Um, then they give you a date, mark it down, and that's when you go back and talk to them. But to talk to, especially someone in my capacity or Vince or JJ or Pat, we were not allowed, man. You just couldn't have that conversation with the talent because that's tampering with their contracts. How you get around that is, you know, talent talks to talent. And if they want to share some of their contractual details, then they sure as hell can, which is what happened in this case. And we still were like, Hey, he's under contract. We can't, we can't talk to him. How could you talk to him? If he had a window in the contract where he could negotiate, or if he was not under contract at all. So that's when Kevin Nash went down and got his, got his release. And I think he told him he was going to go back to being a bouncer in a strip club and wanted to just be free and clear of the wrestling business. He was done. He'd given it a shot and wanted to move on. Only wasn't doing anything with him. They had nothing for him, so they gave him his release. He immediately faxed it over to J.J. Dillon, and the rest, as I say, is history. We brought him up to Vince's house first, actually, just so we could meet him and take a look at him and try and come up with a name for him. Um. That's where the whole weak chin conversation happened. Let's talk about the weak chin conversation. Well, Kevin came up and I remember had a fanny pack, um, you know, and his hair, he was Vinny Vegas. He looked like, you know, the old Vinny Vegas. Vince wasn't crazy about the look. Wanted to clean him up, cut his hair, shave and do some things. And, uh, and I said, you know, I'd really like to get rid of that goatee. And and Kevin was like, no, no, got a weak chin, man. Got to keep the goatee. Can't, can't lose goatee, weak chin. I'm like, what What the fuck's a weak chin? You know, I keep my goatee because I've got several chins I'm trying to hide, but, um, (laughs) you know, but that, that was the reason Kevin wanted to keep it. And Vince like, yeah, no, God, he looks great like that. Good God. Look at him. He's huge. So vascular, (sighs) but it was. Shane McMahon, it was a weekend. Shane McMahon was sitting out there with us and coming up with names. And it was, uh, it was actually Shane that threw out diesel. It's like diesel. I don't get it. And it's like diesel, man, you're buff. You know, he's like a badass boy. That guy's like diesel and telling us what diesel meant. I guess on the, on the straight leg go, uh, Diesel is a bad, bad babble jabba. He's a very bad, bad that could kick your ass. So Diesel was born. Did Vince ever use the phrase cock diesel? Not that I know of. Have you? Okay. Um, 
Oh, okay. Well, yeah. I mean, that's the thing people say. Regular people. Okay. Yeah. Is it fair to say, you know, in this era, that especially the story you just laid down, it does sort of sound like maybe Kevin Nash was ready to shift his career into gear. Well, if you are ready to shift your career into gear, then just head on over and call 833-BEST-WAY. Ask for Brett the Hitman Hartman, because he can make the dreams come true, man. they got a, a truck driver's school. we got a lot of drivers who listen to our show. Well, 833-BEST-WAY is the best way for you to make more money now. You're going to make your own schedule. You make your own hours. If you want to be home every weekend, you can be home every weekend. you got to remember, trucks don't move freight. People do. And 833-BEST-WAY, Brett Hitman Hart, and they've got the answers. Even if you don't drive now, Best Way has a school to teach you to drive and get you a job when you graduate. 833 best way brett the hitman hartman is a listener just like you and i and he'd love to talk some wrestling with you and about how you can make more money with best way it's 833 best way so kevin and sean strike up an immediate friendship and and sean says kevin was the first guy who i met in the business who i could talk to and trust i kind of looked up to him from a wrestling standpoint there was no doubt i was the leader but in life he was the leader He may not have had a great formal education, but he was sharp and had a lot of street smarts. Kevin would point a lot of stuff out to me. He didn't stir things up like other guys. He just simply looked out for me. And it was the first time I really had an ally like that. I told him about my situation in the locker room, how a lot of people didn't like me. It doesn't matter. He said, I like you. Well, a lot of people want to beat me up. And Kevin said, nobody's going to beat you up. Don't worry. What do you think about Sean's words here about how he sort of looked up to Kevin? Is that based on age experience? What was that dynamic like? And and what do you remember about their budding friendship here in early 93? He looked up to him because Sean was 5'10 and Diesel was seven foot. I was ready for that. Had to look up to him. You know, that's just a, that's what we call physics. Do, do, do. Um, You know, Kevin was a little bit older and had more maturity to him and he was a big bastard but it was also you know kevin was friends with the steiners he was friends with luger and a lot of those guys that had come over from wcw so now it's you know he's coming into this world and he's there for sean's bodyguard they're going to be traveling together and they just man they hit it off they hit it off right away became friends right away um, Scott Hall was kind of in that mix because Scott had worked with Kevin in WCW as well. So, you know, the, the click, if you will, was born. Now, the original idea Sean had was to make Kevin like a, um, secret service type bodyguard, but in the end, they didn't think Kevin would really fit that role. So they went with a quote unquote, cool look which everybody knows means sunglasses and a jean jacket. So that's the, that's the idea. And Kevin's not going to do much physically. He's just going to land the occasional punch or kick. And that makes, you know, anything he does much more meaningful. He winds up. Well, I'll tell you, go ahead. The, on the look. And that was something 
that I'd come up with because they, they wanted him to be a bodyguard. And, and that was something Sean wanted to be in a suit and tie. My objection to that was he looked like Vinny Vegas. Then he, he was going to look too much like Vinny Vegas in the suit and tie and I wanted him to look different. So I wanted him to be like that bouncer, that badass bouncer at the, you know, the roughest club in town that stood over everybody. And he had to look, he had to look cool. And I wanted him to look different than Vinny Vegas. And that's why we changed his look up and went with the jean jacket and the, you know, the glove. And I'll get into, I'll get into all that here in a little bit as well. So let's talk about his debut. It's June 6th at a house show in Albany. And I guess this is the night that Sean is supposed to win the intercontinental title back for Marty and Kevin walks out in the middle of the match and nobody knows who he is. And Sean would write, there was a big gasp from the crowd when this giant made his way towards the ring. And of course, Sean gets the intercontinental title. Here's what Meltzer said of that match. Sean regained the intercontinental title for Marty Jannetty on June 6th in Albany at a house show. It was pretty well known that Marty was going to be a short-term champion. Although short-term being 20 days was a surprise. Michael's new bodyguard, Kevin Nash, parentheses, WCW's Vinny Vegas, who was let out of his contract by Ole Anderson earlier in the week after being asked to be released after being turned down when he asked for a raise, which was obviously a ploy since he already had a WWF spot lined up, who hasn't been given a name by the WWF, interfered, causing the win. Michaels and Nash appeared on Raw the next day on June 7th, and Nash has still not been given a name, and Michaels has not been acknowledged as new champion. Uh, what did Vince think about Kevin when he first like sees him in action? It's one thing sort of when you meet a guy by the pool, it's another when he's out in front of the crowd and you see how the crowd reacts. Is this a massive hit with Vince because he loves the big guys? Good God, look at him. He towers over everyone. And that was the key. When Kevin Nash walked out to the ring from the back, you can see people standing up and ooing and awing, but you still saw Kevin Nash's head walk into the ring. So he's a big bastard, and that's impressive. It's impressive as hell. And that's what Vince saw. And Vince immediately had dollar signs in his eyes because he felt, you know, the big guy's got a presence, and they're already, they don't even know who he is, and they're responding to him. So pretty soon after they're all here, sort of reunited, Vinny Vegas reunited with the diamond stud and their new friend, Sean Michaels, Hall, Nash, and Sean are just riding together pretty routinely right away here, right? Yeah, they were, they were, they were buddies, you know, from before and Sean and Sean and Hall were friends from WWF Hall and Nash were friends from WCW and to get to know his Brand new bodyguard, you know, Nash is jumping in with Shawn Michaels. So they, the three of them quickly became a, a trio and yeah, the beginning of the click without a doubt. So, uh, I could tell in your voice there, but occasionally these guys gave you heartburn. When do you remember the first time, like the click, maybe not in name, but just this group of guys you know, there was a conversation amongst some of the other boys about them having heat or something where it just made you sort of go, Hmm, about that group of dudes. You know, the first thing that I really remember was chief J strongbow, 
making a comment about how they all traveled together. And then later on with the one, two, three kid being a part of the, the click and he would call, uh, the kid trailer because he would always be the last one kind of trailing behind, you know, they would, they would walk in usually, uh, Nash hall, uh, Sean. And then if, when Hunter got with him, then Hunter. And then it was kind of like almost, a the evolution of man, <laughs> you go from ape and it goes down backwards. Um, but it was funny to watch them all walk in, but Hey, they also all dressed in, in, uh, slacks and always had sport coats on and always looked professional. So that was one thing that made them stand out as well, but it was probably Strongbow that was the first kind of referred to him as the click. And these guys all hanging out and really pointing it out. This gets us to the very first King of the Ring pay-per-view. It goes down on June 13th from Dayton, Ohio. About 6,500 fans to sell out the joint, and they paid around 80 grand at the gate. Sean's working with Crush here, and they go about 11 minutes, and Sean actually gets a pin for a win for once, believe it or not. Here's what Meltzer wrote. Crush has improved a lot in the area that he can do good moves and has agility, but he still doesn't work well with others. He's going to have a problem in that he's so much larger than almost all the wrestlers, especially now that everyone's off the juice. In this match, it was hard because they do all the cliche big man, little man spots that were done in the three previous bouts on the card. Here, they gave Kevin Nash the name Diesel in a pre-match interview. Diesel distracted Crush, allowing Sean to post him several times, but Crush kicked out on the pin. Crush comes back, reversing a front face lock and throwing him over the top rope to the floor. And then he gets several near falls until both doinks come down and distract him, allowing Sean to come from behind and super kick him for the pin. A star and a half. Um, was there ever any long-term plan to do anything with Crush and Sean, or was this always designed to give Sean a win and set up doink and crush? This was designed to set up the whole doink and crush, and it was a way to get to a pay-per-view event, a pay-per-view match that they hadn't seen before, and do something different than kind of spin them both off after the fact. Sean finishes June beating Marty on all the house shows. And then in July, he's working with Mr. Perfect again, usually winning, occasionally losing by count out. And then on June 28th, uh, we see Sean defeat Kamala with a super kick after Diesel distracted him. <laughs> Kamala's unit wanted to say hi. I'll drink to that. It's always fascinating to me when you, you see a result like that. Sean defeats Kamala. Like that feels like, Hey, but those guys weren't even in the business at the same time. What the hell? Uh, July 19th, we see another raw episode where Sean and Marty are wrestling. And this time it's at a rematch, of course, for the intercontinental title and about the five minute mark, Marty DDT Sean and gets the pin, but Sean's foot's on the rope. So they restart the match. Of course, you know what's coming here. Marty charges at Sean, but misses and goes outside. Diesel rolls him in, and Sean pins him to win the match. I know we've we've sort of talked about Marty's hokey pokey run here, but there really was some magic to him working with Sean Michaels, was there not? I think there was, just surely out of their long history together as tag team champions, and as crazy as Marty's runs were in and out of the company, 
when the bell rang and especially with Sean, they made magic and they had lightning in a bottle and it was fun to watch. Sean works a dark match on the July 25th raw. And I bring it up because Owen Hart is his opponent and Owen gets the win by DQ and Sean would write of working with Owen. Working with Owen was fantastic. He was great and by far the most talented of all the hearts. With Owen, you could call things on the fly, change things up, experiment, and basically do anything you wanted to do. He was a pure joy to work with. Now, of course, Sean wrote this years after Owen had passed, and we've talked about the rumor and innuendo from late 97, early 98 with Sean and Owen. But in this era, Sean was getting along pretty well with Owen, right? Yeah, he was, and Owen was a pure joy to work with. And everything that Sean said there is true. Owen didn't take himself too seriously. So he was a joy to work with. He could do anything and everything, and he liked to have fun in the ring. So when you're out on the road and you're working day in and day out, it's good to loosen up and have somebody that you can you know, have fun with in the ring. And Owen was that guy. They do a Madison square garden, uh, elimination match on August 13th. And this match has, uh, Sean diesel and bam, bam, Bigelow taking on Mr. Perfect, Marty Jannetty and Tatanka. And then they do a, uh, SummerSlam spectacular on August 16th in Poughkeepsie. And we would see Sean beat Bob Backlund here. They do a cage match the very next night in white plains and it's with Sean Michaels and Marty Jannetty. So they've got an interesting lineup here for the house shows. Um, let's talk about SummerSlam. This goes down August 30th, 1993. We're in Auburn Hills, Michigan, and it doesn't sell out, but it is the largest crowd of the year for a wrestling show somewhere between 18 and 19,000 folks. And we finally get this Shawn Michaels, Mr. Perfect match, but wouldn't you know it, it's another count out. Michaels gets the win. He retains in 11 minutes and 20 seconds. Um, this is something that we've sort of talked about before, um, but not maybe in as much detail as we can here. What do you remember about this match? It got three stars in the observer. Well, it was, it was a great match and it was trying to, at this point in time, we're kind of trying to segue Sean out and he and perfect had been really working since WrestleMania in a lot of spots. So it was a way to just kind of move it. Didn't want to beat perfect here and give Sean the rub. You know, now he's got diesel and take him. If we are going to be able to, you know, take him to the next plateau here. There was, you know, talk back and forth as far as could Sean be the WWF champion to which Vince was adamant absolutely adamant that little bastard will never ever be my champion um that's a quote he swore sean would never be the wwf champion as long as vince was alive he will never hold that championship and he will never be a champion don't bring it up again because watching sean you're watching brett and you've got what traditionally was a territory of all these big guys. And now the guys that are stealing the show every night are five, 10, six foot, 230, 240 pounds. And they're not giant monsters. 
and they're having great matches with everybody. So we're thinking, well, hell, what if, and the pitch was to make Shawn Michaels into that Ric Flair heel champion, that everybody on the roster and everybody in the building knows they can kick his ass. They know they can beat him. But every night, he walks away with the championship by hook or crook. So for Pat and I, we were looking at the Intercontinental title. Man, that was a stepping stone. But let's shake things up and try and get away from the traditional babyface champion, which is what the territory was, and let's have a a heel champion, but a heel champion that was a chicken shit and a heel champion that people that was beatable, I guess is the best way to say it. Vince hated it. Not going to do it. Never. Plans change. They do, don't they? So let's talk about his chemistry, his being Sean, pronouns pal. Damn it. Perfect. Uh, He says they liked wrestling each other, but he didn't think their styles really meshed. He wrote, what we both did best was bring out the best in our opponents. Being dominant was something neither of us felt comfortable doing. My best offense was getting beat up all the time, and his was getting backdropped or thrown into a turnbuckle. It's strange, but two great wrestlers don't always equal a great match. And I think, you know, us armchair quarterback fans who are listening to this show right now, myself included, consider Shawn Michaels and Mr. Perfect to be two of the best bumpers or sellers of all time. Like they're going to make your shit look unbelievable. Uh, is there someone else you can think of in a more modern era who sort of reminds you of those two guys in that regard? Yeah, there, there's quite a few. I mean, Dolph Ziggler right now goes out and, and he's that utility guy to make everybody look good. And after a while, that's the label that you get. That's, that's your job. Go out and make people look good. Um, that's what he's doing. I think Seth Rollins is almost getting himself into that position because they have great matches. They're, they're able to go out and work with anybody and everybody. And the other guy is always going to come out better than the walked in. So you get that spot and it's tough to get out of. Owen Hart was like that. It's kind of a gift and a curse. Is it not? No shit. And you know, during this time, I I disagree a little bit with Sean's assessment that they didn't gel. I thought they had some great matches at first. They didn't gel because both guys wanted to be heels and perfect was not all that comfortable in the baby face role. So he still kind of worked like a heel and he thought like a heel and Sean obviously was just a natural heel, but Sean took that role and in my opinion, made Kurt a better baby face during this time by taking the lead and getting Kurt to relax and come on now, come back and be a baby face. Let's talk a little bit about, um, the suspension and this is maybe the most interesting thing on the show this week to me. Sean would write about two weeks after SummerSlam, Vince called and told me I'd tested positive for steroids. I said, what? I'm not taking steroids. And Vince said, the test came back positive. You have to take six weeks off. And Sean was upset. I'm not taking six weeks. I didn't do anything. And at the time I weighed almost 240 pounds. I was fat and couldn't believe he thought that I was taking steroids, no matter what the test results were. 
look at me. I'm out of shape. I'm drinking a case of beer every night with Nash and I'm matching him meal for meal. I would tell you if I took steroids, why would I of all people take steroids? Every Tuesday night after the face-to-face interviews, a whole bunch of us would meet at the Holiday Inn in the Newark airport, and then we would go to the bar. I told Vince maybe something put maybe somebody put something in one of my drinks, and uh, I told him I might have been a pain in the ass sometimes, but one thing he could always count on was my honesty. I would always tell him the truth, and I was. I did not take steroids. I took a lot of other things, and I told him about all of those, but I did not take steroids. If I had done this, I would admit it. And Vince said, I have no choice. You've got to take the six weeks. And I said, fine. And he says, well, you got to give us the belt back. And I said, nope, I'm not giving the belt back. Vince was angry, but I wasn't going to budge. I did not do what they said I did. And if I was being punished for something I did wrong, no problem. But I didn't do this. And I told them about the things I did do and said, if you want to punish me for that, that's fine. But I'm not giving you your belt back. And Vince said, okay, we'll talk in six weeks. And to explain the absence on TV, the WWF president, Jack Tunney, said that the September 27th Raw would show that Sean was suspended for insubordination. And they had a battle royal on Raw where the final two men left would wrestle the following week on Raw for the now vacant Intercontinental title. Of course, we know Razor and Rick Martell were the last two in. And the following week, we see Razor beat Rick Martell to become the Intercontinental champion. What do you remember about Sean's suspension here? The one thing I remember most about the suspension was Sean telling Vince that, you know, I'm out on the road busting my ass every single night for you. Will you sit in your ivory tower counting your millions? I'm out here busting my ass and making you that money. So if you want this belt, you can come down to San Antonio and get it because I'm not giving it back. And I remember Vince just kind of being tickled at that. Um, he was pissed, but it was one of those, can you believe that little son of a bitch said this to me? And I've just always remembered that counting your millions in your ivory tower comment kind of went up Vince's ass sideways a little bit. And, um, he was pissed off for a while about that one, but Sean sure as hell didn't look like he was on steroids and and I don't know um what the hell happened there. It could be that he was taking some other supplements that made it look like he was taking steroids. I really have no idea, but the fucked up thing was is it screwed up all of our plans for the short term. And in the long term, what it did was create a rivalry in a scenario that in my opinion was some of the best shit we did and got us to some of the greatest matches ever in history. It's so fascinating to me that with Shawn Michaels, a lot of times, you know, when the plans change and the initial thing doesn't work out and you guys aren't really happy with that, whatever you wind up coming back with turns out to be like the best thing ever. I mean, you know, you could say whatever you wanted to say about the Brett and Sean thing in November in 97, but that all leads to the Mr. McMahon character. Who's going to be the perfect foil for stone cold, Steve Austin. And it, nobody ever planned any of that. It just all sort of happened and it happens here too. What were the original plans? Had you guys not had this steroid issue and had to strip Sean? 
Well, we probably would have gone with Razor anyway because Vince was looking at at Razor on down the line. Vince saw Razor in that babyface role as possibly being the WWF champion one day. And this was his way of thinking, God damn, we'll groom him. He'll be the next champion. And if we're ever going to make the move, now this is, this is Pat and I on our side. We're thinking if we're ever going to make the move, we got to get the intercontinental title off of Sean so that we could get him into the hunt for the WWF championship. Even if in the beginning, Vince doesn't have his sights set on or buys into the concept of making Sean champion. We knew we could get Sean into the hunt to have matches with Brett and start going after the championship. And you add diesel to that. He's got a formidable chance, right? Really does. So Pat and I were kind of plotting and scheming that way, but then this threw a wrench into it. Now we don't have, we don't have Sean. We're going to have to rush razor. So let's just go ahead and get it on him. But when Sean came back and I was like, well, we have two champions. Nope. Sean vacated his. I said, I understand that. But I went back to in 19, like 78, maybe 1980, maybe 81, whatever. Terry Funk had a replica NWA world heavyweight championship made. And he would go around to different places and he would wear his replica belt and claim to be the NWA world heavyweight champion. I never lost this championship and Harley race. You're not the champion. I am. What, what if Sean just kept walking around with the belt claiming to be the champion razor won it. You know, he went through the tournament and he, uh, the battle Royal, whatever, won it beating Martell razors, the rightful champion, but he never beat Sean who was the last champion. They both have a legitimate claim to the championship. And that's where Pat's, we could have a ladder match and they bet they hang the titles up and, um, skipping ahead, Bruce. I'm sorry, but that was where we were thinking even way back here. I mean, I feel like he could have just went straight to, and then he fell in the casket at Royal Rumble 98 and he was done. <laughs> and then he falls in the casket and bam, he's fucking, and then we're done. I fucking Mike Tyson punch him. Boom. He goes away. And so when Mike Tyson punches him and he's just laying there, how would Pat Patterson describe how Sean should lay there? Like a douchebag. <laughs> Just a little flat like a douchebag. I've always been curious how Pat knows how that. Never mind. So Meltzer said the situation with Michaels marks the first time in the modern history of the WWF that a champion has left the promotion without losing the title. The most recent example in the WWF history would be 1981 when the Moon Dogs were held up uh, at the border between the United States and Canada, presumably. Uh, you know, drugs, roll tide. So Sean says during his six weeks off, he goes to the gym and he feels like that uh, was drugs. The moon dogs. Well, that's the rumor and innuendo. No, I think it was a visa problem. Yeah. 
He was Canadian and he didn't do have his visa in line. So I always heard. So Sean goes to the gym, wants to get in shape. And he says he was really heavy to the point that Scott Hall starts calling him tiny Elvis, but he really means the <laughs> fat Elvis. Do you remember, uh, some of the boys ribbing Sean about his weight gain here? Absolutely. Because he, you know, <laughs> he looked chunky. This is, Hey, fat guys can call fat guys fat, but, uh, yeah, Sean for Sean had put on weight, man. He had a gut on him and he just had that extra roll of fat going around and uh for the heartbreak kid that wasn't the look especially when you compare you go back and look at those pictures of him and you compare that to the next couple of years where he just was ripped all the time and had abs and really was very conscious of that it was a different sean do you think the weight gain affected his in-ring performance or was he able to uh, still give the same performance, whether he was a little heavier or a little lighter? Personally, I like the weight gain because it gave him a little bit. He didn't have quite that polished look. I don't think it hindered his performance at all. I think that he was still able to go out and tear the house down every single night. Sean said at this point, uh, his relationship with Vince was not the best quote. I would go off on Vince periodically and then call him back and say, I was sorry that I'd lost it. He was always patient and forgiving with me. I think he put up with me because he really admired my desire to be good. And for lack of my better or better words, my love for the business. Vince also knew that I would do just about anything for him. I didn't apologize for the steroids because I knew I hadn't taken them. After a few weeks, we'd both cooled down and everything was fine between us. Was this the first time you remember there being a serious, you know, fuck you, fuck you conversation with Vince and Brett. You mean Vince and Sean? I'm sorry, Vince and Sean. You yeah, know what I mean? Pronouns, pal. Um, yeah, but th- this was kind of the, the first time that this relationship started to build, and it was contentious at times. However, they kept the lines of communication open, you know, kind of like your family. You have to, you know, you have to talk to your family. You don't always have to talk to your family, but Vince always kept those lines of communications open and Sean used them. So Sean would have the good conversations and the bad conversations. Everybody could do that with Vince at that time, and he made the most of it. So the fact that he was at least doing it, they had a relationship versus guys who would see Vince and walk the other way because they were intimidated, didn't want to have anything to do with him. So Sean made the most out of it. Let's, uh, let's dive deep into rumor and innuendo for a minute. Can we? Sure. So one of the reasons that maybe a lot of people are intimidated to talk to Vince besides, you know, him just being a big personality and everything that he's done, the history that he's built for himself with the company, blah, blah, blah. Is that guys have to get paid and this guy's sort of controlling your livelihood and you got bills. So you sort of tiptoe around your boss. And I think that's commonplace, not just with Vince, but with a lot of industries and a lot of businesses, but around this time, Sean starts to push back a little bit and becomes a little bit more difficult to deal with and becomes more about, I'm going to do what I want to do. And allegedly according to the rumor and innuendo, a fan that Sean never met died around this time and left Sean two and a half million dollars. Allegedly, this is a super fan of Sean's a male who Sean had never met. And all of a sudden he gets notified 
uh, Hey, you're a millionaire. You've just inherited two and a half million dollars from a stranger. And this would come up in January of 96 at a press conference. And Sean was furious at the question and shut it down and said, no comment. But it feels like one of those, if there's smoke, there's fire situations. What do you remember about Sean inheriting a bunch of cash millions from an anonymous fan? I have always heard that rumor and I cannot tell I cannot tell you if that is fact or fiction. I always heard the story that, you know, the guy left Sean all this money. Um, wouldn't surprise me, but I never point blank ever asked Sean, Hey, did you inherit a bunch of money from people? I've had those that have sworn that that was the case and that he became a millionaire overnight and got all this money. I've also had people that swear that it was a work and that it never happened. So, uh, short of asking Sean personally, myself, I never have, I I just don't know who believed it, who swore that he did. Uh, I think is God, you know, one person that comes to mind was Ted DiBiase who had, told me at the time you know yeah sean got this got this inheritance and uh got all this money he doesn't need this um on the other side there were people that just poo-pooed it and i want to say maybe his friends poo-pooed it is to you know there's not really much anything there maybe he got something didn't get millions of dollars but i think it was just people telling stories and people perpetuating what was already out there because Sean also did that a lot. He'll perpetuate. If they're talking about him, Yep, he's going to get them talking louder. He just likes to stir it up and create discord. Yes. Likes to poke. I told Chris Jericho last night, he, he knew how to poke the bear and liked to poke the bear. I love your, uh, just name dropping roll tide. So Sean makes his return to wrestling on October 18th, but it's not for the WWF. It's for the USWA. This is sort of standard fare at the time, right? If you've got somebody coming back to TV, go down to Memphis and work the ring rust off before you get on the big TV, right? Sure. They didn't have an NXT or a place where guys could go in a developmental area. So we did have Memphis, put them on the card, let them go down there and work a few shots and, uh, get your ring legs back. Meltzer really took issue with something you guys did around this time. Surprise, surprise. He started doing segments on WWF TV where the fans could vote as to whether or not Shawn Michaels should be allowed back in the WWF. And of course he was coming back no matter what the result of the voting was, but on Monday night raw, you're promoting the 900 line as a way to vote. And you're saying that the results would be binding as to whether or not Shawn Michaels would remain suspended or he might be reinstated. Of course this was done after you guys had already decided on a return date and Meltzer felt like this was fraud, which I kind of think is funny. Um, because it's clearly tongue in cheek and you would think everybody would sort of be in on the gag, but he felt like if the fans were voting and being told that this was a real legitimate vote, that you guys should honor it. Whose idea was it to have, you know, this be a way to promote the 900 line. And did you guys, take any sort of uh second thought to Meltzer's criticism here. I don't give a first thought to any of Meltzer's criticisms on pretty much anything could care less. Um, but it was a way 
to gauge audience interest. And yeah, we already had everything uh, set, but we wanted to get interest in things and get people's temperature on a lot of things. We would always try those things just to see where do they really where do they really stand? You can listen to the audience a lot and think you know where they're at, but you could do a poll too, and they'll tell you exactly what they want and what they don't want. That's what we did with those things. It was a way to, to take the temperature of the audience. At the end of the show. And make money. You guys announced results throughout the show, and then at the end of the show, you announced that 64% of the fans have voted against allowing Shawn Michaels to come back. But what's funny is... The show is sort of staggering the airing, right? So you've got the the East Coast feed and then the West Coast feed. Well, so the WWF, when Meltzer allegedly calls you guys on the carpet, you guys refund everybody who saw the West Coast feed because the results were already in. Do you remember that being a situation where you guys actually had a conversation about refunding the silly hotline? Yeah, we did because the time zone in, in the uh, USA had a delay to where if it started at nine o'clock on the East coast, it was eight, you know, it's nine o'clock, eight central. However, on the West coast, it was nine o'clock. So they got it three hours later. And Vince didn't feel, you know, we, we tried to get USA to take the spot out, but they couldn't do it in that short of a turnaround. And at those times, it just wasn't that easy to edit the show on the fly. So we had to bite the bullet and we tried to do it. We did crawls from time to time, but people still called. You do a crawl saying, you know, the hotline is now closed. The results have already come in and all that other stuff. But he misses that part of it. Sean comes back to the WWF on November 10th in a house show in New York. Uh, On the 18th, 19th, and 20th, he's in losing efforts in a cage match with Bret Hart. But of course, the plan, as we know, is going to be to do this dual intercontinental title thing with Razor Ramon, which we're going to get into uh, coming up pretty soon. This takes us to Survivor Series 1993. That goes down in Boston, Massachusetts on November 24th. Huge crowd here at the Boston Garden. Over 15,500 fans in attendance, all but a few hundred of those paid. So the gate's huge, 180 grand or so. And I cannot wait to talk about this because on the way to this match, there is an audible called originally it's supposed to be Jerry Lawler and Jerry Lawler has some troubles. We'll talk about that on a Jerry Lawler episode, not here. And Shawn Michaels is the guy is Shawn Michaels. The guy just because he didn't really have anything going on. Is this right place, right time for this match? Exactly. And it was, it was such short notice. We didn't have anything for Sean and we had planned on bringing Sean back and doing something with razor to get us to the next level. But, uh, it was right place, right time. We needed a heel. It was plug and play. Well, let's talk about, you know, this is something we get asked about all the time. There was a promo done with Sean Michaels and a new interviewer for the WWF. Tell us where the promo was shot. Who was talking to Sean about the match? And uh, maybe even an impression of that character who was interviewing Sean. Well, since this was the last minute, Lawler wasn't going to be a part of the promotion. We had to we had to do something fast, and we had to get Sean involved pretty quickly. The entire angle centered around Jerry Lawler and the Hearts, and Jerry Lawler making fun of the Hart family, uh, everybody in it. So we had to pivot 
So whoever was going to take that slot, since it was the Hart brothers standing up for mom and dad, eh, Stu and, eh, and Helen, eh, she's a good old gal. Eh, yeah. That we needed that heel, whoever we plugged in there to do the same thing, man. You know, make fun of the hearts. And we knew Sean and Brett would have a good match. But this wasn't really about having a good match. This was about getting to the storyline of Owen and Brett. Long story short, you know, Sean gets the nod. And the idea is we're going to go to Stu and Helen's heart and Helen Hart's home in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. Stu and Helen's home was played by Howard Finkel's house. And Stu and Helen were played by a couple of uh, actors. I think our uh, makeup artist, Jill, was Helen Hart. And Sean was going to come in and and show us. And he had the opportunity to be interviewed by the world's worst interviewer and the worst gimmick uh, possibly in the history of all of wrestling. The one and only Rio Rogers, baby, real man. He's the cowboy, the cowboy. Actually, he's the cowman. He's so bad. He's so good. And it aired. And every once in a while, you'll see it up on YouTube somewhere. The the famous Shawn Michaels, Rio Rogers. Uh, and as a matter of fact, the only two interviews that Rio Rogers did was with Shawn Michaels. And then he did a stand up with Vince McMahon, too, right? Well, that he did color commentary with Vince, yes. Which is also Rio Rogers. Obviously, we know the genesis of the character, but you know, chat me up, Rio Rogers. I don't know when we'll talk about him again. I always did, you know, the, this again, kind of like on here when I go into stories, I go into imitations, and and a lot of times telling a story, it's funnier to tell the story of the American Dream, Dusty Rose, baby, and get like all funky. Funky like a monkey and get crazy, if you will, baby. Jerry Jarrett was uh, sitting in on some of these meetings, and it just tickled the hell out of him, my Dusty Rhodes impersonation. He'd be, Vince, we need to get Bruce on TV with that character. I'm like, it's not a character. It's Dusty. You know, it's not... uh, in case you didn't know, Jerry, there's this guy, Dusty Road, that kind of talks a little bit like this, get a little funky. Second most recognizable athlete in the entire world, second only to Muhammad Ali. Um, but Jerry wanted me to do this voice and do this character on TV, and I think it was Vince's way of, well, we'll give Jerry a little something. God damn it, Bruce, do the character. And I didn't want to do it. Uh, but I did it and put a fake handlebar mustache on, you know, a little Fu Manchu, baby. Uh, wore my hat, baseball cap backwards instead of a cowboy hat. Terry Funk's chaps and uh, a bull riding glove because that's what real bull riders wear, baby. Got, wherever you go, got to have your glove. And the name just came out it was like what vince says what's your middle name and i said uh, roger hmm i said i was named when i was named my brother tom was given the opportunity to name me and he wanted to name me roy roger pritchard and my mom said no but she gave in for the roger 
and uh, there was a heel on the soap opera she was watching. By the name, his name was Bruce. He was the heel on the soap opera, so she liked Bruce, and that's how it became Bruce Rogers. So I said, okay, well, Roger. He liked Roger, and because uh, Roy Rogers and everything else, and I forget how the hell we got to Rio. But then Rio Rogers was born, baby. R-E-O-R-O-D-G-E-R-F, baby. Funky. And I called Dusty. I called Dusty before I did it and and told him what we were going to do. And I said, Dream, if, you, uh, if you're uncomfortable with it, you don't want us to do it, just say the word, man. I won't do it. He goes, Punkinhead, you're going to do what you're going to do anyway. So go ahead on with your bad self. And we did. Why didn't Rio Rogers last? Because it sucked. Lots of it was stuff. horrible. Lots of stuff sucked and it lasted. Why didn't this last? I didn't want to because I didn't want to do it. I just I hated it. It sucked. Here's the thing. If you if you come up with a character, come up with an original character. This was clearly just me doing Dusty. And I don't think that it was as entertaining to the masses as it was entertaining to guys in a room, in a booking room, trying to come up with ideas, you know, and going into a dusty imitation. It it just wasn't that entertaining to the, to the broad based market. Nobody cared. Let's talk about survivor series 93. I can't wait for us to do a full show on this. I'm sure we'll probably do it this November here. We've got Bruce and Keith, Brett and Owen. The Hearts, and they're taking on Shawn Michaels, and the Blue Knight, which is Greg Valentine, the Red Knight, which is Barry Horowitz, and the Black Knight, which is the incredible Jeff Gaylord. They go 30 minutes and 57 seconds, and here's what Meltzer said. Way too long, and it just didn't work. They tried to plug Michaels into the Lawler spot and claimed Michaels had been insulting the family all this time, and anyone who watched TV knew better. Michaels couldn't carry for interest, and the Knights came off as jobbers, and Ray Combs, as an announcer, totally buried both Bruce and Keith to the television audience, acting like they weren't even wrestlers, trying to make it out like your history teacher was in there trying to play wrestler. Combs told jokes on the PA before the show that didn't get over, and the Red Knight was originally supposed to be Terry Funk, but Funk at the last minute decided to go home. Um, eventually, it's Three Hearts versus Shawn Michaels, and Michaels take all kind takes all kinds of great bumps before just walking out. And after the match, Owen comes back out and starts arguing with Brett. And this starts the heel turn as his mother wept. A star and a half. Not the best match, but man, there's so much meat on the bone with the story of this match, is there not, Bruce? Well, the original idea with Terry Funk being part of the night, she had Terry Funk and Greg Valentine. The idea behind the match was we were going to build up to each of the knights getting unmasked and being revealed who they were, which is why we wanted Terry and Greg. And I want to say we had someone else in there as well that was a bit of a, you know, an old timer, but a name as well. So the night before Survivor Series in the bar at the Sheraton there in Stanford, I think Brett broke the news to Terry Funk that he was going to uh, submit to Brett's sharpshooter. And then Brett was going to unmask him. And I don't think that set too well with Terry as I got the phone call, in my answering machine, Pritchard, I'm going home. My horse is sick. Tell Vince, my horse is sick. 
and refused to answer his phone. Um, and Terry went home. So we had to scramble and we stuck Jeff Gaylord in there. And now really all you had to, uh, unmask was Greg Valentine. And we didn't think that was a big enough deal to just unmask Greg. So the whole, the whole story and, and structure of the match fell apart when Terry left and it was all, it was all just a backdrop to get to Brett Owen anyway. So we just, you know, bit the bullet said, have the match and, ha- you know, make it the best that you can possibly make it. Had Jerry Lawler been there and able to perform that night, would Shawn Michaels have even been on the card for Survivor Series or what would Shawn have wound up doing? Do you think? Sean would have been in an interview role out there with Razor and, and coming out and making the claim of being the Intercontinental Champion and just furthering that story. I'm looking forward to telling Jerry Lawler's story, but I don't want to get sidebarred for two hours here, so let's keep rolling. Uh, November 26th, they run a show in Montreal, and Doink gets a win over Sean, but the next night Madison Square Garden, Sean gets the nod over Doink. And on the December 6th Raw, this is when we see Shawn Michaels wrestle the kid for the first time in the WWF, and they go to a double countout when Shawn gave him two Razor's Edge's moves in the ring, uh, which, of course, the Razor's Edge is Razor's finishing move. Razor comes out and pulls kid out of the ring as Shawn's going for a third one. This leads to Shawn slapping Razor. Razor chases him up the aisle, and then Diesel comes from behind the curtain and hits Razor. And then Sean gives Razor the Razor's Edge on the floor twice. Sometimes um, we sort of armchair book how something could be put together. And this is all four members of the clique here. But this was good stuff, was it not, Bruce? It was great stuff. And it was during the time, one, two, three kid who was coming in that we didn't really have any plans for and on a fluke. And that was the power of that Manhattan Center and that New York audience made the one, two, three kid into a megastar overnight. He was made. So he's put into this whole program with Razor Ramon and then Razor coming to the kids' rescue now makes Razor this really likable babyface character. Um yeah, it was it was just good stuff putting them all together, and then you got Sean, who has the big equalizer now in Diesel, and you can believe Sean can beat Razor Ramon because he's got the equalizer on the outside. So um, that was the story we were telling, and that's where we were going. And it was really intriguing stuff at the time because you couldn't pick them. And I feel like I should mention too, you know, Scott Hall's a big dude. So for Sean to be wrestling a match like this and then giving him two of these razor's edge maneuvers, uh, Sean's a workhorse because I mean, Scott Hall's no lightweight. No, he's a big man. And plus, you know, he's, he's tall and he's big and he's thick. So yeah, that's difficult. That's difficult for a guy, Scott Hall's size to do. And then for Sean to do it to a guy, uh, razor size, extremely impressive. In early December, you guys do another UK tour here. Randy Savage is working with Sean again. Randy Savage gets the win five times out of five. Um, was Randy a special attraction, as you like to say so much, on these UK tours? Is that the reason he was working almost exclusively in Europe at the time? 
Yeah, it was something to make that show a little bit different and give the European crowd a little bit different taste. And I don't necessarily remember for this tour, but this also might have been somebody getting injured at the last minute and having to send Randy over there to kind of help salvage that tour with more star power. On the December 20th Raw, Sean actually co-hosts and does color with Vince. How do you think he did? Horrible. <laughs> you know, color's not for everybody. And Sean cut great promos. It was a tremendous heel, but he just tried to do too many one-liners and, and tried too much, you know, Benny Hill type stuff that it ta- that's an art. It's an art form to be a good color commentator. And we thought that Sean might be able to slide into that role. And it was temporary because he did it due to uh, Jerry Lawler's problems. So Sean kind of slid into that Lawler role there temporarily for a while. And Sean finished up 1993 working with both uh, Brett and Razor on the half shows. You saw a lot of their matches, and I think a lot of people would say Brett and Razor are two of Shawn Michaels' best opponents. If you had to pick one, who do you think gave Shawn a better match? Bret Hart or Razor Ramon? Bret Hart. I think that Brett I think Brett and and Shawn will go down as classic opponents for one another. That they are both each other's best opponents, in my opinion. Well, the classic opponent for hair loss is just for men. They've got a brand new product called hair regrowth. Tell them about it, Bruce. Well, he grow hair regrowth from just for men. It's an easy to use topical solution. It's clinically proven to help regrow hair. It's formulated with the number one dermatologist recommended ingredient proven to regrow hair. 5% minoxidil. It works by reactivating hair follicles to stimulate regrowth. Perfect for men with thinning hair. Plus, with a unique precision spray applicator, this is hair growth made easy. Simply spray it in, stick back, and move on. Start winning over thinning. Look for hair regrowth in the shave aisle or just visit jfmgrowhair.com. That's jfm growhair.com and use promo code regrowth 25 and you'll get 25% off your purchase. That promo code again is regrowth 25 and you'll get 25% off your purchase. Uh, That's going to wrap up 1993 and we're going to go ahead and put a bow on this episode for now. But first let's do some questions, Bruce. Are you ready to rapid fire some questions about Shawn Michaels here? Hit me, baby. So here's what we're going to do, uh, just to catch everybody up. This is going to be one of our longest episodes ever. So we're breaking it up. So next week, as a reminder on March 9th, well, what do you think we're going to talk about? Sean Michaels part two will be here next week, but the following day you're getting a bonus episode. We'll tell you about in just a minute. But I don't want you to think that we forgot about you. Shawn Michaels, 94, 95. They're coming right up. We'll see you here next week. But let's get to some questions from Twitter and Facebook. Uh, Some of these questions won't be just specific to 93. So we'll just uh, rapid fire them all here. Uh, Colby wants to know, Bruce, did you ever try on Shawn's chaps? Not Shawn's chaps, no, but Terry Funk's, yes. Robert wants to know, besides Sherry, were there ever any other managers considered for Sean during his run? Well, I thought that Luna did a hell of a good job with Sean um, 
in that managerial role and kind of the sidekick. But other than that, no. And as a matter of fact, we kind of thought that Sean didn't need a mouthpiece, that he had his own gift to gab and didn't really need a manager. Why did the Luna run end? Huh. I want to say it was, we thought that the better fit it would help Luna to be with Bam Bam Bigelow and just thought that that look and that, that package was a better package. So we just kind of uh, slider over here. Uh, how was uh, Sean with that pairing? You've told me, you know, maybe he wasn't always pumped about having Sherry there, but then eventually he liked working with Sherry. What was his opinion on working with Luna? He liked working with Luna, thought she was crazy because she was. But uh, a lot of times he would feel that Luna sometimes could take away from the match with all of her antics on the outside. And that had to be toned down a little bit. Ray wants to know, Michaels is always touted as one of the greatest. While I don't necessarily disagree, what puts him on the list from a Bruce Pritchard perspective? Because he can work with a broom and make them look good. In all of his matches, no matter the caliber of his opponent, he can bring anybody up. I don't, I can't really think of an instance where his opponent brought him down, but I think that Sean could bring pretty much any opponent up. Uh, Timothy writes in, there are a few people at least that consider Shawn Michaels to be one of the most overrated wrestlers ever. What do you say to those people? I'd say you're misinformed and you're allowing rumor and innuendo and backstage reputations kind of skew that because I think that Sean's work in the in ring is probably the best that there is. Alan wants to know why is Bruce so overprotective of Sean? Sometimes it seems like Bruce is just justifying his bad attitude and how he treated people poorly. I don't justify it. I simply explain it and try to explain the situations at the time. And I think that Sean did have a bad attitude. And a lot of times it was inexcusable, but you got to get over it too at some point, and get the match in the ring. Sean says, Everybody has sang Shawn Michaels' sexy boy song. Hypothetically, what would be funnier to hear Jim Cornette, Michael Hayes, Paul Heyman, Dusty Rhodes, or the Macho Man sing Shawn's theme? Well, I've heard Dusty singing because he's just a sexy boy. Sexy boy. Ain't your boy, Tom. Boy, Tom. I'm just a sexy, sexy boy, baby. And, uh,. I'm not your boy toy, motherfucker. Fuck you. I'm nobody's toy. Allow me another volley, sir. Thank you for that. Because I am the sexiest <laughs> boy of all boys that there will be sexy, sir. Good, sir. All right. I'm just your boy toy, boy toy. I'm not a se- Wait, I am a sexy boy, dude, dude. It's just a dadgum medley right there, man. Is Macho Man hanging around? What's he think about that song? I'm thinking, thinking, thinking I'm the sexiest boy alive. Ain't your boy toy. Uh-uh, no boy toy. Uh-uh, not gonna do it. Dig it. First name Macho, last name man. Check out the boots. Uh-huh, oh yeah. Ain't your boy toy. Uh-uh, not going there. Uh-huh. Aaron Murphy wants to know whose idea was it to have Sean wear a blue strap on the intercontinental title? (laughs) I have no idea. That just was probably a freak accident that happened. Wasn't a whole lot of thought put into that kind of stuff back in those days. Chance wants to know how was Sean and Davy boys relationship? Sean or Davy boy always got along. They, They were friendly and, uh, they traveled together. 
Davey in, in some ways was kind of part of the click. Well, um, chance wants to know, is there anyone who refused to work with Sean during this era because of his attitude? Absolutely not. No people wanted to work with Sean cause he made him look good. Uh, Ruben wants to know, was Sean more excited to work with Pam Anderson or Jenny McCarthy? <laughs> well, the first time it's two answers. The first time around Pam and the second time around Jenny. So, uh, we had, when we first had Pam for Royal rumble, Pam was awesome. Uh, just a true joy to be around. But when we had Pam for WrestleMania, some things in her life had changed and we kind of had a little bit of a different person on our hands. Now there's rumor in innuendo that one of the times you guys had Pam Anderson in, it was hashtag drop top titty tip and time. Can you confirm or deny? I can confirm that in Malibu, California in November of whatever year that this was before WrestleMania, that it was drop top titty tipping time uh, in Malibu, California. Nice little beach house on, on the beach there in Malibu. Uh, how would Vince McMahon describe what you saw? Luscious, voluptuous, caramel titties. Mm. <laughs> oh my gosh. Cody writes Sean elevated a lot of other guys' game, but who do you think elevated his the most? Bret Hart. Uh, Kavana customs, who I assume is a designer writes, who was the gear designer slash maker back in those days and who gets credit for giving Sean the best look at his career. Julie Youngberg from day one. Uh, Michael wants to know why was Davey boy Smith always losing to Sean Michaels? That sort of made me laugh when I read it, but when I think about it, I don't remember Davey boy ever beating Sean. I mean, maybe it happened, but I just don't remember it. I don't think he lost to him all the time. I think they kind of went back and forth, but I think after, uh, Sean defeated Davy boy for the intercontinental championship. And that was all that mess with bulldog and the ultimate warrior that Davy was in the doghouse for a little while. Get it. Doghouse bulldog. I get it. Dave, Dave, Dave. Uh, Aaron writes, uh, does Bruce believe Sean and the click blackballed Shane Douglas's Dean Douglas run? I don't th- believe in blackballing i don't think anyone blackballs i think talent has an opportunity to go out and perform and do what they need to do and if they they can't do it and for whatever reason it doesn't work out i think people have to look in the mirror sean did not like working with dean douglas uh neither did razor and they definitely made life miserable for shane douglas i love it when a blackballed motherfucker says blackballing don't exist motherfucker you were blackballed for like 10 years now you're up here saying no ain't no such thing as blackballing there isn't i mean just i I hate that term all right well what were you you were exiled is that a better word i was fired (laughs) but you weren't well lots of people have been fired and welcome back marty Gennetti in this episode has been fired nine times (laughs) (laughs) he's been typing (laughs) so but you were you were ross has been fired like six or seven times so talk me through this how was how can you say blackballing's not a thing when you motherfucker were blackballed i don't think i'm blackballed not anymore i mean this show got you i was just fired well and not i was i i prefer i prefer to use the term hated <laughs> no i'm not blackballed i just got heat kid they just hate me yeah. well yeah i know the feeling uh larry wants to know who told sean to get rid of the mullet 
has he gotten rid of the mullet? I don't need to say that. Mike wants to know any good backstage stories of the click. And he wrote BTK, but we know he means BSK. Uh, no, not really. I mean, they, they kind of, you know, they respected each other. I, I'm not going to go mess with, uh, undertaker and his crew for damn sure. So that's a smart thing. At least we can say that the click was smart. Sure. Steven writes, why does the SummerSlam 95 ladder match get no love? It was match of the year. In my opinion, I think it does get love and we're not at 95 yet. Steven, you get asked that question in two more shows. Well, no, whatever, <laughs> not two more shows on the next show. I'm just saying that I was, uh, you know, we, we started out this by saying, Hey, we're going to ask all the questions. No, I don't know if you were paying attention to that, but. I, I think the SummerSlam match doesn't get the love because so many people were enamored with the WrestleMania match. And if those matches swapped places and the SummerSlam match happened at WrestleMania in 94, then that would be the match everyone was talking about because it was first, because it was WrestleMania, because it was fresh, whatever, right? It was new. The bloom was not off the rose yet. So the WrestleMania match was first. That's the it. sequel is rarely as good as the original. Yes. Um, Ned Collins writes on a previous episode, Bruce mentioned Vince said to never mention the idea of Sean as WWE champion. When did Sean start to be seen as a top guy by Vince? Was it after the WrestleMania 10 ladder match? Was it a gradual shift or when did Vince sort of come around to maybe Sean being the top guy? It was a gradual shift. The WrestleMania 10 ladder match definitely boosted his stock tremendously. Um, but the big, the big shift was after WrestleMania 11 in Hartford. Uh, cheeseburger Eddie writes, uh, why did we never see Shawn Michaels versus Bam Bam Bigelow? Timing, you know, if, if Bam Bam had, had stayed around longer and again, it just sometimes comes down to timing guys, you know, you can't work with everybody at the same time. Everybody can't be the champion. So their paths just didn't cross in that way during the time that they were both there. Uh, Charles Pauly writes in a shoot interview, Sean once said that Sherry would tell him to throw guys out to her so she could rough them up for being unfair to Sean in the ring. Do you remember any, any specific times this happened? That was probably more in the AWA and that, that was, and they would throw Sean and Marty out, uh, Buddy Rose and Doug Summers would, and that's what Sherry did. But that was just a spot that they did as a manager, as a heel manager, and Sherry playing her role. But do you remember anybody sort of taking liberties with Sean or maybe trying to eat him up on TV and Sherry recognizing that as the veteran and being like, fuck this guy, throw him out here? No. And I don't know that anybody really ever took liberties with Sean on TV like that for her to do that. No, nothing like that. That, that, Armand writes, was it ever discussed what would happen if Sean slipped and got eliminated at the end of the rumble 95? Well, we talked about it and it was guaranteed that it would not happen. I, I, I kid you not. That was the discussion of it. I was like, man, you know, that skin in the cat, it's just so close. What if just, just what if, what if right. somebody hits the ropes on the other side or what if the ropes are oily and he slips He'll be fine. Um, 
when we did the in your houses, I used to take the in your house to the very last second because I could trust Sean to go off the air when he needed to go off the air. He was just that good. Um, Michael writes, what was Sean's first reaction to hearing Vince's singing of his now famous entrance theme? And was it ever used? And there's a link that we'll post on our Facebook and Twitter at some point this weekend, where a lot of people believe the person singing is Vince McMahon. What do you think of this rumor and innuendo, Michael? Michael. Um, well, it's just rumor and innuendo. The original, you know, the original song was Jimmy Hart. Jimmy Hart wrote the song and Jimmy Hart recorded the song. And I forget we had a, uh, we had a male singing it and it was terrible. Then the idea came up and I don't remember if it was Sherry Martell or somebody else who said, what if Sean sang it? And just that egotistical, you know, Sean singing it. And that's how we came up with Sean singing. I'm just a sexy boy. I was hoping when I threw it to you and called you Michael, that you would have answered that as Michael Hayes. <laughs> well, the, the boss sing it better than anybody. This man is a national treasure. Um, <laughs> Scott wants to know, was there ever any consideration to adding triple H razor or the kid, uh, to the pairing of Sean and diesel on screen to make a real on screen click faction? Well, I think eventually we did, but no, not back in the day. No. Jamie wants to know, was there ever any heat from macho man for Sean doing the elbow drop? That's a good question. You know, uh, no, there wasn't. And Sean asked about doing it as a matter of fact, and Randy didn't have a problem with it because Sean did it well. And Randy did not have a problem with it. Matt wants to know since the timing had to be right. Did Sean ever accidentally injure someone with sweet chin music? Never, never that I could ever think of. Did he ever nail somebody? Well, I'll tell you what, we're going to be nailing somebody next week and it's Sean Michaels. Come on. Sean Michaels next weekend. Part two, set your calendars. You know, what's coming. It's March 9th. It's noon. And we're going to finish the Sean Michaels story. 94 and 95 coming your way next week. And, uh, then we've got a little something extra for you because the very next day on Saturday, March the 10th, it's a bonus episode. That's right. We're covering Saturday night's main event from March of 1988. They're marching to WrestleMania four and we're doing it. Watch along style. Be sure to tune in on Saturday, March the 10th for a bit of a bonus episode for Saturday night's main event. But Bruce, we're putting up a poll today and I'm pretty excited about it because it's all about WrestleMania. Bruce, here's what's going to be on the Tell poll. We've got WrestleMania 4. We've got WrestleMania 14. We've got WrestleMania 19. We've got WrestleMania 24. And whatever wins, you're going to hear right here on March 16th. That's right, 316. What do you hope wins the poll and that we're talking about on 316, Bruce? 14 or 24 are going to win. Yeah, I think it's going to be 14, but let's just go ahead and tell you right now, whatever finishes second, we're going to cover on the poll on March 30th. So mark your calendars now. Next week, Shawn Michaels part two on next Saturday, which is the 10th. You're getting a bonus watch along episode from the March 12th, 1988 Saturday night's main event. But today, right now, you can go vote on the poll. 
It's at Pritchard Show on Twitter. That's at Pritchard Show on Twitter. And right there, you'll get to pick which WrestleMania do you want to hear on 316, 4, 14, 19, or 24. We've got another poll coming to you next week, which is what we'll roll out on the 23rd. On the 30th, whatever got second place in our WrestleMania poll, that's what we'll cover. And on April 6th, it's all about Goldberg. So we've got you mapped out. We've got you covered coming and going. And we're really appreciative to all of our sponsors today. Of course, we want to thank our man, Brett, the hitman Hartman over at Best Way. It's 833-BEST-WAY whenever you're ready to shift your career into gear. We also want to thank our friends at Just For Men. Go check out their new hair regrowth model. It is outstanding. I've already got a guy at the office using it. He's loving it. You will too. And of course, our friends at Mattress Firm. Go to mattressfirm.com forward slash podcast. And as always, you can pick up a shirt over at brucepritchard.com. And I think that's kind of something they should do. Don't you, Bruce? Without a doubt, they should. Because if you love Brother Love, you got to get the new Monday Night Love shirt. I was there, but some places I wasn't. We've got a shirt for that as well. But you got dude, 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 and don't forget your fanny packs and your beanie. Still fashionable to be wearing a beanie this time of year. And uh, don't do a job when you're doing that. No job. When you pick up a shirt at BruceBritchard.com, eventually Bruce gives you a call. And eventually, we're coming to Columbus. By the time you hear this, tickets may be sold out. Last I checked, there were less than five tickets left. Pick up your tickets at BrucePritchard.com. And maybe if you're in Florida, you should come celebrate with us. St. Patrick's Day, man. Unlimited beer, wine, soda, food. It's BrucePritchard.com. Click the Florida link and use the promo code WRESTLE. That promo code again is WRESTLE. For one low price, you'll get wrestling matches. You'll get the Edmonton Oilers and the Florida Panthers. Then you get Bruce and I with unlimited food, beer, wine, soda. You just can't beat it. And uh, we ended last week's show with a fun little Easter egg. And Bruce, you didn't even know it was going to happen until you actually heard it. Our man, Andrew David Cox, the man of a thousand four voices. He's on Twitter at Andrew David Cox. He calls himself the weird Al of wrestling. He did a little bit of a promo for no way out 2003. What'd you think of Andrew David Cox's impressions last week? Well, I didn't know it was anybody doing impressions. I just thought it was all those people doing their thing. Uh, but a absolute perfect spot on Doc Hendricks. Just so much so that really I thought it was they just lifted stuff from Doc Hendricks. It was that good. So it is that good. Hats off. We're happy to say that old ADC is going to be a regular part of the show moving forward. He's going to help you get ready for what we're covering next week. And this week, we've got a really cool treat for you. Uh, you're going to hear a little promo for Saturday night's main event from March of 88. But first, you need to go vote, and I'm talking about right now on Twitter, because this WrestleMania poll is going to be huge. It's at Pritchard Show. You can also follow us on Instagram or YouTube. Just look at the description here, or just go to BrucePritchard.com. There's links for everything at BrucePritchard.com. Anything else we need to mention before we get out of here, Bruce? Man, I think we're ready to rock and roll. Well, let's take a listen to what you're going to hear on next week's bonus episode. Of course, tune in next Friday at noon for Shawn Michaels Part 2. But a bonus episode next Saturday? Here's what we're going to be talking about. Hogan, you may be facing King Ali Rest tonight, but if you remember last time on Men of Ed, 
I treat your face like Japanese bathtub. That is where I take my shit. Perhaps we meet again at WrestleMania. Oh, you got that right, Jack. But tonight, Andre, it's me and King Harley Race. And I gotta tell you something, dude. If Harley doesn't completely over some offense and take one of the worst table bumps in history, we're gonna have a problem, brother. What you gonna do? Hulk Hogan, this is the king. Tonight, you're gonna kiss the pinky. That's a cutie name I give to the tip of my royal dick. Welcome, everyone, to Saturday Night's Main Event. Oh, yeah. It's McMahon ringside with Jesse the Body Ventura. I'm glad to be here, McMahon. I see you're wearing your finest, cheapest toupee. Ha, ha, ha. What a one-liner. And of course, choosing this capacity crowd are here and they are excited because tonight, not only do we have Hulk Hogan versus King Harley Race, the greatest body in pro wrestling today, and Hulk Hogan, plus the Macho Man against Ted DiBiase. And don't forget about Brutus the f***ing Harbor Beefcake McMahon. Tune in next week to find out what happens on something to wrestle. I won't see it, McMahon. I'm off the grid. With Bruce Richard.
John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on, right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra driver? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.